Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for tuning in. We have a great topic today. We're going to really talk about what the Quran teaches, how it is similar to the Bible, and how it is so very different, especially when it comes to the deity of Jesus Christ with our special guest. Uh, Lord God, please give us wisdom today, as, as we always ask, Lord, and you promise to give generously to those who come before you humbly and say, Lord God, we need you, we need wisdom, and we need help. Father, help us to understand the times. Help us to be um, really able to preach the good news that we say we live by. Help us to be better at that in our culture, Lord, not just being examples of a good Christian, but being able to respond to the questions about why we have the hope that we have, And especially with those of other religions, Father, help us to not judge them. Help us to uh, encourage them to get in these conversations where we can just talk about core beliefs. And then hopefully, God, you will use us and hearts will be prepared and we ask that your will be done. And we know your will is for all men to come to know you. Uh, We thank you for giving us purpose and meaning and your great commission to go make make disciples, and we ask that you would use us one day at a time. Just thank you for today. Give us wisdom. And by the way, Lord, as these Supreme Court uh, confirmation hearings are just starting in Washington, D.C., in uh, the Senate, um, we pray that your will be done, but we also ask for favor for Amy Coney Barrett, that she will be confirmed, and that you would break through all the noise and the spiritual warfare that is bound to be taking place um, on Capitol Hill. We love you. We commit this nation to you. We pray for repentance in the church and then in the nation. God, we need revival. We need you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Today's guest is James Walker. So good to have him back with us. He is the president of Watchman Fellowship. He's a fourth-generation Mormon with over 25 years of ministry experience now in the field of Christian evangelism, apologetics, interfaith, evangelism and discernment. He's been interviewed on, and as an expert on many religious uh, shows and on cults and different movements on network TV shows, including Nightline, ABC World News Tonight. He holds a BA in Bible st- Biblical Studies and an MA in Theology, and that's from Criswell College in Dallas. He serves as an adjunct professor at Arlington Baptist University and New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. He is an ordained Baptist minister and a member of the International Society of Christian Apologetics. James Walker, thank you for coming back on Standard for the Truth. David, it's so, gr- it's so great to be back again. Thanks, brother. Well, thank you for your time. Uh, we've been trying to reconnect for so long, so I'm just going to take advantage and just pick your brain and get you to just share as much as you possibly can. So before we get into the book, and it's a brand new book, we'll link this up today in the podcast post, What the Quran Really Teaches About Jesus, Prophet of Allah or Savior of the World. I just would like you to share your background and your testimony briefly with our a lot of our newer audience since you've been on last. Yeah, yeah. The, what I think the Lord used to to get my interest and my heart in this whole area of interfaith evangelism and apologetics was, you know, I was born and raised a Mormon fourth generation. So my whole life, you know, uh, growing up, I believed that the the Book of Mormon was the Word of God, and that Joseph Smith was a prophet, and that our church was the only true church. Mm. Uh, but I had Christian friends at key times that God put in my life that that asked me great questions, uh, shared the gospel with me, and uh, I began to have questions and doubts about my faith and ultimately made that transition in my journey from Mormonism to Christianity. Uh, you know, and Initially, David, it was like, you know, I felt like, you know, why did I waste all those years? Why why did God let me, you know, be so deceived for so long? 
but only after I got into this, the ministry and began to um, use what I had learned in, in that transition did I realize there were no wasted years, and I couldn't mm. understand and do exactly what I do today had I not been through that experience. There's a verse about uh, God restoring uh, what the locusts mm. have eaten, and there's a principle in our lives. And I'm, I'm glad you said that because I want you to speak to those who are listening right now who feel maybe they came to Christ later in life and they feel like I've wasted so many years, decades perhaps, and I just didn't make an impact for Christ. I didn't share the gospel. I, 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 it's just been so long and now I'm coming to God and I, I know the truth now. And they feel like they just haven't been maybe effective, and they, they have that sense of wasted time. Can you s- just encourage them? Oh, yeah. It, it's, it, it's a theme that we see throughout the Scriptures, and you see it, for example, in the patriarchs. You see it in the life of Moses. You see it in the life of Joseph. Uh, of, of all these years, of, of everything seems to go wrong, hmm. and nothing seems to go right, and it's just like— uh, Everything, however, ends up, when you look back at the story, it was preparation for what God actually had in store all along. And uh, God's timing is perfect, and He um, just does a wonderful job of taking circumstances and situations uh, and even things that are out of His will and flipping them around to be used for His glory because He's sovereign. There's a verse, Philippians 1.6, that says, uh, He who began a good work in you. And it doesn't say what age, if you're 10 years old, Mm -hmm. 20, 30, 50, 70 years old. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. All we need to do is be humble and obedient and be open to him using. Here we are, Lord, send us. So, James, before we get into your book, you have another book I just wanted to mention it's called The Concise Guide to Today's Religions and Spirituality. And um, is there another one in there, too, that uh, I w- wasn't aware of? Um, I'm co-author of a book called The, um, the Truth Behind the Secret, which is kind of a New Age uh, mm-hmm. uh, bad. And <laughs> then um, we, I'm the general editor of our profile notebook, which uh, you know we've done some partnering with um with you guys on on that uh, we have over 500 pages of profiles on everything from astrology to zen buddhism awesome so a lot of uh, resources and you can actually you know get a lot more information at watchman.org um james your book let's get right into it here uh, a lot of people i mean i'm going back maybe a, a dozen years i've heard in our culture, and I think the election of Barack Obama had something to do with the openness to Islam um, and just saying, wait a minute, it's a religion of peace. Don't uh, be judgmental of all uh, Muslims. And I think that's true. That's a good point. But uh, what does the Quran really teach about Jesus is, is the title of your book. Why did you decide with your Mormon background, with all your apologetics background, to focus in on um, Muslims and Islam in this book? Well, our ministry, Watchman Fellowship, deals with all kinds of interfaith apologetics and evangelism. So we we reach out to Jehovah's Witnesses, we reach out to Scientology, uh, we we reach out to atheist agnostics. I'm also the co-founder of a monthly book club called the Atheist and Christian Book Club. So basically, if, if you don't follow Jesus, if you're not Christian, you're the mission field as far as we're concerned. And we want to build relationships, we want to talk. And so for the past maybe 10 or 15 years, I've done a lot in the area of Islam. I've, I've had three different debates with Khalil Meek, the president of the Muslim Legal Fund of America. But it was actually a lunch with our with my, the president of our uh, publishing company, um, Harvest House, that actually asked me to consider writing a book like this. Hmm. And uh, I, I had not really thought about that. But as he talked about what he was envisioning, it's almost like the, the chapters just rolled out right there during lunch of what it would look like. (laughs) And uh, so that became the book. Well, let me just say the Church really needs to know at least the basics of not every religion in the world, but the major religions and cults and isms, and and you've done decades of work on on that. I I think back to, was it 2012, when um, Mitt Romney was running for president? Now, this was the Mormon faith they were talking about. But I remember they were interviewing pastors about it, and Joel Osteen was one who said, yeah, I believe Mormons are Christians. 
And it's this kind of thing where when it comes to Islam now, and you're writing about what's in the Quran, where a lot of Christians, because of the, quote, Abrahamic faith or commonality, we believe they're similar but not at all the same. Can you just give us a little, sure. little, little a couple of your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, yeah, and it's understandable that people can make that mistake because both Christianity and Islam, well, actually Judaism also, you have the three great monotheistic religions. So Islam, Christianity, Judaism, we all say there's only one true God. So our our media, uh, our um, many of our politicians jump to a wrong conclusion that because these religions believe in only one true God, then that must mean they worship the same God. Hmm. So part of what I do in my book uh, is, uh, as I try to lay out with actual quotes from the Quran, that that Allah of the Quran cannot be the same God as the God of the Bible. It's not Yahweh. Mm -hmm. This is the Jesus of the Quran. Now, there are some similarities, and there are some things that, uh, surprisingly, the Quran affirms about Jesus that we would agree with. So I like to use those as a kind of a, a starting place to get a conversation going, but we cannot forget those uh, places that the Quran uh, denies essential truth about, about God and about Jesus. God is not a trinity, and also Jesus cannot be the Son of God, according to the Quran. Another reason why we need to know more about Islam and the differences, the stark differences between what they believe about Jesus, is we've been hearing reports in a lot of our public schools in America. They're teaching uh, Islam. They're, they're even having kids memorize, I believe, the Shahada. And, mm -hmm. and the, I, I, to my knowledge, they've kicked out the whole uh, intelligent design creation account in, in favor of evolution now. So they are not really welcoming Christianity, but they are open to Islam and other religions. So parents really need to know not only what their kids are being taught, but what Islam teaches. Because one, the, what, we're, what I'm referring to is there is no God except Allah, and Muslim is his messenger or his prophet. James, your thoughts? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and what makes this so... Um so uh, frightening is this, according to Islam, this is how one becomes a Muslim. If you recite Shahada in Arabic sincerely, mm. then at that moment you become, there's no baptism in Islam, you become Muslim at that point. And so the fact that that would be taught, being taught in, in many of our public schools is kind of uh, really, really surprising. But another bigger issue, I think, is you have Islam, the second largest religion in the world, about 1.8 billion followers of Islam worldwide. And we have to have a strategy to reach Muslims with the gospel, mm. some strategy. Uh, because we, we live in a time now where it's just highly likely, um, especially if you live in a larger you know, metro area, that your next-door neighbor, your pharmacist, the convenience store clerk, uh, your doctor, people that you know are going to be Muslim. And so uh, that tied with the whole radical Islam mm -hmm. and what's taking place with uh, religious terrorism. Um, I just think, I, I really do believe, uh, David, that we are beyond the point of a military or political solution to this. I, I think the only hope that we have is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I agree. I'm right on the same page with you. There is no political or military solution, um, and, and we're going to—I hope we don't find out too late, but we really need to inform people. The book, by the way, if you just tuned in, it's called What the Quran Really Teaches About Jesus, Prophet of Allah or Savior of the World. It's by James Walker, and we're glad to have him with us today. Uh, James, two things that— once you get into a conversation with someone, whether they are Muslim or not, uh, the average person might say, um, well, what about the Trinity? Is it, how can Christians believe the Trinity? Because Muslims don't believe the Trinity, right? Well, not only do they, do they not believe the Trinity, there are passages in the Quran that I quote in my book that specifically call out the Trinity doctrine as one that's not just wrong, but will send you to hell. Wow. And so it is, it is um, you know, t 
totally uh, refuted. And, and probably any gospel conversation at some point with a Muslim is going to turn to the doctrine of the Trinity. Wow. Uh, and it's so important for us to, to recognize, you know, that's, that's one of the main points we need to understand. Um, just going through your table of contents here, I just want to share with people so they have an idea of more of the contents in the book. Um, Jesus of the Quran is a prophet of God. That's what, you know, the Muslims believe, of course. Jesus of the Quran was, was born of a virgin. Um, Jesus of the Quran is the Word. He is called the Messiah. Jesus of the Quran performed miracles. Now, that's one that I didn't remember. So you're saying that Muslims believe that Jesus did perform miracles. Is that right? Yes, and on each of these things, these are characteristics according to the Quran of Jesus that is not shared by the Prophet Muhammad. And so at at the end of each chapter, we have key questions to ask the Muslim you're talking to about that passage. Jesus was born of a virgin very clearly in, in the Quran. So you, you, ask, you want to ask the question, uh, my friend, what other prophets were born of a virgin? Certainly Muhammad, no, no other prophet. Hmm. So, so what we see is throughout the Quran, Jesus is unique among the prophets because he has attributes and he has characteristics that no other prophet has. Whereas the Quran also tries to say that Jesus was merely one of the prophets, just like um, uh, thousands of other prophets from the time of Adam uh, up until Muhammad. There have been thousands of prophets, and Jesus was merely one of the prophets. Well, no other prophet in the Quran was born of a virgin. No other prophets called Messiah. Uh, again, th- these are things that make Jesus unique, even when you just look at the Quran. I want to talk about the virgin birth for just another minute or two, James, and we have to take a break in about three minutes. Um, I've heard, because I have not read the entire Quran, I've quoted passages, I've looked it up for research before, but I've heard that Mary is mentioned not often, but several times in the Quran. I, I, I don't believe she's elevated or revered. Is she? What can you tell us about? Because that you were talking about the virgin birth. Um, that's that's a, one of the common things that Christianity and Islam has, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Right. So it's Surah 19 is one of the places that talks about Mary. She's called Maryam in the, in the Quran, but it's talking about the Virgin Mary. And it clearly says that she, uh, that Jesus was born of a virgin. Um, Allah explains to her um, that this was a sign to mankind for mercy from Allah and it's been decreed by Allah. She's not been touched by a man, but yet she gives birth to, to Isa or Jesus in hmm. the Quran. And so it's um, again very clear. And and again, no no other prophet was born this way. What's so? What what is their view of Mary? Favored by God um, overall? Yes, yes, favored by God, and uh, what they um, now what they're clear on the Quran is pretty clear on this, and, and, and the Muslims are even more clear about this. This does not, in their mind, prove that Jesus was deity. Mm-hmm. So what they, they compare it to was Adam. Adam did not have a human father, but he wasn't God. He, Allah said, be, and he was. He was formed from the, from the clay of the ground. And so uh, Jesus was formed in the womb, but Jesus in Islam is very much a created being, not okay. the creator, but is a created being. That is absolutely key and pivotal to understand that Islam believes Jesus was a created human being, not God, deity. The Word became flesh, correct? Correct. Okay, wow. That, I mean, that's a huge dividing point right there. But there is so much more that confuses people. Um, we've got less than a minute now, so I, I won't pop another question, James, and have you rush through it. But I just want to share some more chapters. and I mean, um, yeah, chapters. And when we get back from the break, we'll talk about them. Um, another Jesus, that's what we're talking about clearly, and that's chapter 9. Jesus of the Quran is another Jesus. Oh, chapter 8, I skipped over that one. Uh, Jesus of the Quran will return again in the end times, and he is... Not the Son of God, not the second person of the Trinity. So we'll get into some of these beliefs when we come back with James Walker, President, Watchman Fellowship, 
So much more to cover with James when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Our guest today, James Walker, President Watchman Fellowship. Um, James, uh, before we get back into the book we're talking about, your brand new book, and it's called What the Quran Really Teaches About Jesus, um, you probably because of the coronavirus, like a lot of our other guests, have not had the typical busy schedule when it comes to traveling and speaking, and therefore, logically, oftentimes, with most people, donations are down, offerings are down. So do you want to share any other uh, points on how people can uh, get a hold of you, maybe support your ministry, or get more information on the notebook? Sure, sure. At watchman.org is our website. We have all kinds of resources and tools on there. And uh, those who want to be a part financially, we have a watchman.org slash give. And that would be a a great help at this time. And yeah, we know we're not the only ones hurting Mm -hmm. like that right Mm -hmm. now. Churches, ministries, we're we're all um, really struggling right now. So Prayers are greatly appreciated. Awesome. God bless you, brother. A lot of our guests, too, um, and most of them do travel and speak, and some of them are authors. Um, let's get back to the book. We were right around, let's see, chapter, between chapter uh, 6, uh, 7, 8, we talked a little bit about the, that the Quran actually acknowledges that Jesus performed miracles. Could you give us a little information on that? Because that is something that I either had forgotten or was not aware of that and, and yet they don't believe he's God, they don't believe he's deity, but yet he performed miracles. Because Muhammad never performed any miracles, right? Right. Now, what some Muslims will say is the the, the Arabic word for verse, the, the, the Quran has chapters, surahs, and verses, um, that that is the word miracle. So sometimes they'll say, well, he performed you know, hundreds of miracles because every verse of the Quran is a miracle. Oh boy. But there were no physical <laughs> miracles, and Muslim apologists have tried to explain and deal with this. Why mm-hmm. Why were there no miracles? Now, the, the, the predominant miracles of Jesus in the Quran are extra-biblical. So you have, the, you have Jesus, for example, speaking as a newborn infant, um, speaking from the cradle, so to speak. And, um, you know, so these are, these are not you know, uh, for the most part, biblical miracles, but they, they're, they're miracles nonetheless. And you don't have those being presented by uh, even the prophet Muhammad. So what about other things? Do you get in the book the, the comparison between Muhammad and Jesus? I'm sure at some point you address that. Oh, yeah, yeah. One of the things that I do, just kind of get, make this practical, show you how you'd use the book. I, I was uh, at a coffee shop uh, near my office, and my office is right adjacent to the University of Texas at Arlington, and there are thousands of Muslim students on campus. And this particular guy came in, I, I go to that one quite a bit, and I saw him, and I had seen him before but never talked with him. Uh, but I noticed this time two things. He had a Islamic dictionary in his hand. Uh, and so I think, okay, he's Muslim. But the other thing I noticed, uh, David, there were there was only one empty seat in the whole coffee shop right next to me. And so I was just reading on my iPad my Bible, but oh, I cheated a little on this one. As he came towards me, I just quickly closed the Bible and opened up the Quran and started reading it. I didn't <laughs> say a word, just started reading Quran. <laughs> and so sure enough, it wasn't five minutes later, he's, he, he, he taps my arm. He says, oh, you're reading Quran, Quran. And I said, yes, I, I am. And he said, oh, you must be Muslim. I said, no, actually, I'm Christian. He said, huh? I said, I'm Christian, but I do believe that I want to understand the Quran and know what it says. And um, I said, in fact, I'm reading a passage right now, Surah 3, verse 50, <laughs> and I have questions about it. He said, well, I'm Muslim. I will help you. And I said, well, it says here in, in Surah 3:50, Jesus said, I have come to you with a sign from your Lord, so fear Allah and obey me. Hmm. He says, oh, yes, my friend, you must fear Allah. You must obey Jesus. And I said, well, here's my question. It says obey Jesus, but I'm looking throughout the Quran. I can find no commands of Jesus anywhere. Where are the commands of Jesus were to obey in the Quran? Well, he actually 
David takes the iPad out of my hands and starts looking at the verses before and after, a kind of awkward silence, and he goes, <laughs> um, I'm not sure, he says, but I have uh, some friends who are Quranic scholars, and I will find the answer and bring it back to you. Wow. So I appreciate that. We talked about other things. The conversation went a different way. and But it was all about maybe about a week or 10 days later, I saw him back in that same coffee shop. And so we caught eye contact. I nodded and kind of waved, and he waved at me, and he came over and sat down, and we talked about other things. But then I said, hey, you know, you were going to help me with my problem with the Quran about where are the commands of Jesus it talked about in Surah 350. He said, oh, yes, I remember. He said, I said, you were going to ask your, your friends who are the scholars. He said, oh, yes. He said, they could not find them either. Wow. And uh, that the irony is nowhere in the Quran is there any command of Jesus. So I said, you know, I was thinking about that. If we're to obey Jesus, where else can we go except to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? And uh, he, he got this look on his face, and he said, uh, my friend, don't do that. He says, the, the the Bible has been corrupted. Yep. And I said, well, even if the Bible had been corrupted, is there something maybe of value still there? Where else can we find the commands of Jesus? And I said, well, have you even read the have you read the Gospels? Have you read like Matthew's Gospel? And he said, well, no, because it's not in my language. Now, my first thought, David, was he seems to speak pretty good English. Yes, I yes. didn't say that, but uh, I said, well, what's your language? He said, Urdu. I'm from Pakistan. I said, you know, I just kind of think there might be a, a New Testament in Urdu. And I just Googled it real quick right there and popped up on the screen. And I said, is this it? And his eyes got real big. And he says, this is Matthew, but it's Urdu. It's my language. And I said, let me ask you something. Would you be willing to go with me through the Gospel of Matthew to try to find the commands of Jesus? Would you be willing to do that? And he looked at me, and he goes, well, no. He says, uh, we make a deal. You read, and he gave me two chapters from the Quran. You read these two chapters, then I read Matthew. I said, that's a deal. Let's do it. And that one question out of one passage in the Quran led to probably four or five lengthy one-hour-plus conversations over the next couple of months with this uh, this guy and we got into all kinds of conversations of what do you have to do to be saved, and what about the day of judgment and hell and assurance of salvation. And we had all kinds of great conversations because we began with one question out of one verse in the Quran. Wow. That's amazing. And that's Surah 350. Great. Correct. That's brilliant. Obey me or obey Jesus. Um, they believe the Bible cannot be trusted because they say it's corrupted, um, what is their proof for that? Because then you can ask him, well, how do you know, or ask them, how do you know the Quran uh, is divine or divinely inspired? But let's talk about what they believe about the Bible being corrupted. Is it, what, do, what reasons do they give? Well, they, they don't really have any very many specific reasons. You, you'll <laughs> find the occasional uh, a Muslim apologist like Shabir Ali, who's going to argue quite a bit like a liberal um, uh, you know, something like a Bart Ehrman or something. But mm -hmm. most Muslims do, cannot point to one example of where the Bible's been corrupted. And so the best question I found to ask is just to say, my friend, can you tell me when the Quran, when the Bible was corrupted? Was it corrupted before the, the life of Muhammad or was it corrupted after the life of Muhammad? Now, this is a very powerful question because most Muslims already know this. The Quran itself says, if you have any doubts or questions, you're to ask the people of the book. That's Surah 1094. You're to ask the people of the book. Well, the book it's talking about is the Bible, and the people you're to ask are the Christians and the Jews. So why would it, the, the Bible certainly couldn't have been corrupted before Muhammad because Muhammad is even telling people to go check the Bible if you have any questions. Hmm. Ask the people of the book. So the, 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 the usual thing you hear, well, it must have been corrupted after the life of Muhammad then. But then you have an even bigger problem for the Muslim because we have tons of, of manuscript evidence, impressive manuscript evidence. Yes. Uh, that dates before the time of Muhammad in the 6th century. So you have the John Ryland uh, portion of John's Gospel. You have the great Isaiah scroll, mm -hmm. an intact scroll of Isaiah. Which is which is affirming what the what the Christians say about Jesus, 
and 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 basically uh, rejecting what the Quran says about Jesus. So it's one of the questions that I've not found a good answer to. Was it corrupted before Muhammad or after Muhammad? And there's so much we can, once you get into that conversation, or once you start talking about the manuscripts, um, because there is some early evidence from, uh, you know, scrolls from 100 B.C., um, uh, there's, uh, let's see, the Old Testament, where, where the Old Testament is concerned. But there's one thing I was going to ask you here. Um, they, let's see, the same time they teach that those scriptures, they teach that the scriptures are corrupted, but it's, and, and they t- point to people of the book, if you have any questions. So that obviously means Christians and Jews, but they don't want to do that, so they're not really obeying their own scriptures Right. If if they yeah, tell them one to... of the one of the keys to understanding the Quran is understand when that surah was written, because when Mohammed initially the, the early uh, and the, uh, this is com- complicated by the fact the Quran's not written in chronological order. It goes in the size of the surahs, primarily the largest at the beginning and the smallest ones at the end. So the problem is in the early days of Islam, when um, Muhammad was in Mecca. He was the underdog, and he was persecuted uh, by by the um, pagans. And so he. this is where you get the—this is the religion of peace, and uh, there's no compulsion in religion. These are all the early surahs. After he moves to Medina and he's in power, this is when you get the sword verses, mm-hmm. that you're to smite the infidel. And, and so there seems to be a contradiction. Muslims sometimes explain— that um, that passages of the Quran can be abrogated. In other words, a later surah can counteract an earlier surah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's all kinds of juris, uh, jurisprudence and and um, you know Muslim legal uh, uh, arguments of to, of to whether or not this particular passage abrogates or, or dissolves an earlier one. So, um, but it, that's the key to understanding. So the, the passage is about ask the people of the book. These are primarily um, Mecca surahs, not mm-hmm. Medina surahs. Okay, and abrogation is basically cancellation of what came before, correct? Right, okay. right. And the Muslim will sometimes say, well, don't you have a cancellation, abrogation, like the old covenant's been abrogated by the new covenant? Uh, and certainly God has an economy in which he, he progressively reveals things to us. But you have abrogation taking months later sometimes, or a year later. So something is established one year, nine months later, two years later, it's abrogated. Hmm. Well, one of the most fascinating chapters, or at least the titles, because I have not read the book. And by the way, um, we have James Walker on with us, if you're just tuning in. The book is brand new. It's called What the Quran Really Teaches About Jesus, Prophet of Allah or Savior of the World. One of the chapters... Um, what is taught about the return of Jesus? Because in chapter 8, it says Jesus of the Quran will return again in the end times. What do uh, Muslims believe about that? Well, it's, it's somewhat vague in areas, and there is a, there, this is one of the places that there's a difference between what Shia Muslims believe, which about about 8 or 9% of the Muslims in the world, and what the majority Sunni believe. But the idea is that Jesus... You have to go back. First of all, Jesus, according to the Quran, did not die on the cross and did not rise from the dead. Mm-hmm. So he was taken uh, to paradise, uh, but he did not die. But he will come back again one day uh, in the end times, and then um, he will abolish pigs. He will. There's all kinds of things. Basically, help uh, enact Sharia law. Um, wow. And. But uh, it's it's not the sense of uh, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. It, it, it doesn't have the same at all connotations, either the Sunni version or the Shia version, to what, what the uh, Bible teaches about the Second Coming. So he's not Lord and conquering King and reigning Messiah when he returns then, right? Right, right. And and the reason for that is there, there's a, possibly the most important doctrine of Islam— is a doctrine of Tawheed. Tawheed means oneness. Hmm. So it's part of Islamic monotheism that Allah is Tawheed. Allah is one, but in that sense of one, there cannot be a second person. Only one person can be God. Now, Christianity teaches God is one, 
but three persons. One God, three persons. This is a violation of Quran. Quran teaches one God, one person. And this introduces the number one sin in Islam. This is the unpardonable sin, and that is the sin of shirk. If you ascribe any attribute of Allah, of God, to any other thing, including Jesus Christ, then that is tantamount to the unpardonable sin and will be the the one sin for certain that will send you to hell. Wow. Um, I just want to back up just to clarify what they believe when Jesus was on the cross. So they they don't believe he died, then who was left on the cross that they took down the dead body of and who appeared to the disciples and the apostles? What did they say about that? Yeah, this is, this is very vague in the Quran. The Quran doesn't answer the question directly. It only says, <laughs> indeed, they, they crucified him not. They, but huh. they thought they had crucified him, but they crucified him not. So in the, in the uh, Hadith following the Quran, in the centuries that followed, there became um, uh, theories that were produced um, that are, have been embraced by Muslims, several theories actually, but one of them is, the, the prominent, predominant one is a substitute theory, that, that Jesus was, was about to be crucified, but at the very last moment, a substitute was put in his place. Now, some say it was Simon of Cyrene, uh, who was carrying the cross, got substituted, Others say that the face or the image of Jesus is placed on one of the other disciples. But the predominant, probably biggest theory I hear from Muslims, it was Judas Iscariot who dies on the cross for Jesus. Hmm. So in flipping the atonement and the substitutionary atonement on its head, you now have the sinful Judas Iscariot dying for and on behalf of Jesus on the cross. So, So the body that was placed in the tomb would not have been Jesus. It would have been a substitute. Now, again, in my book, uh, it's all about asking the right questions. If Jesus didn't die on the cross, what, what about the body in the tomb? Why was the tomb empty? Uh, don't you know that if the Jews and the, and the Romans could have produced the body of Jesus, they would traipse that cor- have traipsed that corpse up and down the streets of Jerusalem yep. to the end of this religion? Right. Well, the answer, of course, is, well, Jesus wasn't in the tomb. It was a substitute. Well, okay, show me the body of the substitute. You, you cannot explain the empty tomb. Nope. And this is why one of the most powerful apologetics for the resurrection is that the tomb was empty because he is not here, he is risen indeed. Absolutely, that is the foundation of our faith, a risen Savior that conquered death and the grave and ascended back to heaven and sends the Holy Spirit and so much more. We've got to take a break. We were with James Walker president of Watchman Fellowship. The book we're discussing is brand new, and uh, it's out right now. It's available. It's called What the, Re- what the Quran Really Teaches About Jesus. More with James Walker on Stand Up For The Truth when we come back. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Our guest is James Walker, president of Watchman Fellowship. We're going through the book, What the Quran Really Teaches About Jesus, and it's available right now. It's a it's brand new. Um, we want to go to part three in the book, James. On page 105, uh, chapter 15 is, I, I believe you mentioned before we got back on the air here, that it is actually a transcript of a debate you had. Would you like to share a little bit about that? Right. This is really the idea of the, the senior editor at our publisher, and he says, you know, what would really make the, be the icing on the cake to add the actual testimonies of Muslims who found out what the Quran really teaches about Jesus compared to the New Testament and came came to Christ. And so we, we have the testimony of several Muslims uh, who are friends of mine who have come to Christ in recent years. And then we, but we also included a, a, one of my debates. I've done three debates with Khalil Meek. Uh, Khalil is the president of the Muslim Legal Fund of America. It's the on, only organization like it in in, in the U.S. Uh, what he and his team do, do is they they travel throughout the United States defending the legal rights of Muslims hmm. uh, here in America. Now, <laughs> we've had 
lots of conversations about this. And I said, uh, <laughs> I said, Khalil, you know, who protects the rights of Christians in Saudi Arabia? Who, 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 who's out there helping? He, he, he will acknowledge that he says uh, there's nobody protecting anyone's rights there. So, but this is a, this is a, what he believes is his, his dawah, his, his duty, his calling to do. Huh. So, um, uh, but Khalil's background is Khalil's not from Pakistan or Indonesia, not from Saudi Arabia. He's actually from America. He was he was a Baptist uh, who uh, was planning to become a, a a Christian pastor. But when he was at the university at North Texas State University, his his Muslim roommate gave him a Quran. He read it and ended up converting to Islam. Huh. And now he's the the executive uh, director of this this organization. And so um, he he obviously understands a lot of Muslims don't, but Khalil understands Christian. He, he was Christian, and he um, we've had three debates. And one of the chapters of the book, well, actually even the subtitle of the book was based on debate number three, and the title was uh, Jesus Christ, Prophet of Allah or Savior of the World. And uh, so in the debate, what we did, what I tried to do, is start off with what we have in common. Okay, both Christians and Muslims, Khalil will affirm, I will affirm, Jesus was a prophet. So my question then becomes, what did he prophesy? There are not any prophecies of Jesus recorded in the in the Quran. Huh. So when you affirm him as a prophet, you would think, well, at least there should be one prophecy you could point to. Well, there's not any in the Quran. Hmm. And so you, you're, you're forced to go to the Gospels. Well, what Jesus prophesied in, in the New Testament, he prophesied his own uh, passion. He, he, he prophesied his death, burial, and resurrection, all of which are denied. Hmm. Uh, he, he prophesied things which go t- directly against what what the Quran teaches, and so um, is he the savior of the world? And as the debate unfolded, um, to me, a very disturbing fact about Islam became very evident by the end of the debate. Not only did Khalil repeatedly deny that Jesus was the savior of the world, the the the, the sad truth of the matter is, in Islam, there is no savior. You are left. On the day of judgment, standing before a holy God in your sin, with uh, naked, afraid, with no one to defend you, no advocate, and you must stand before that holy God and pay whatever price for your sins. And so uh, Khalil argued that uh, if you look to Jesus as your Savior, that on the day of judgment, not only will Jesus not help you, Allah will call on Jesus himself to testify against you on the day of judgment. Wow. So again, this is this is stark comparison. This is why, uh, David, no Muslim I've ever talked to has an assurance of salvation. Exactly. Uh, they're hoping for it, they're working for it, but it it's really your good deeds and bad deeds. On the day of judgment, there's a giant scale, and Allah puts all your good deeds on one side and your bad deeds on the other side. Mm. But even before that, there, there's a time where uh, a line of people right before the judgment come up to you one by one, and they it's anyone you ever did anything wrong to. Wow. You um, <laughs> defrauded them, you said something negative about them, whatever. They're there to remind you of that, and to pay them back, you negotiate and give them some of your good deeds. If you run out of good deeds, then you negotiate, and they give you some of their bad deeds, and you take them into your account. Then, only when that is over, then you stand before Allah to see if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. Wow. Wow. That's First of all, it, it's really sad that they have absolutely no assurance. What about uh, what we've heard about those who would give their lives in like a, a sacrificial way, a suicide bombing, or or going to kill people and blowing themselves up or whatever, don't they believe that in that case they are going to inherit paradise to be with Allah? There, there, are, there is a passage in the Quran that would seem to indicate that. Uh, the yeah. problem is, depending on the imam, depending on the, the, um, the leader that you're talking to, many of them, especially in America, will say that's not what that's talking about. 
So there's no compulsion in religion, hmm. and um, you know that. Yeah. So again, even that is: uh, are there uh, you know virgins waiting for you in paradise? Uh, that is something that uh, is debated even with amongst the Muslim scholars. What do Muslim women get? If the, if the men get <laughs> that's, virgins, that's a good question as well. Okay, <laughs> you, know, you don't have a real good answer to that either. All right, James. I, when I pull up your book on Amazon, uh, what the Quran really teaches about Jesus, I also see uh, that when they put frequently bought together and Nabil Qureshi, Qureshi seeking Allah, finding Jesus. I think about the man that you debated, who was a Christian and then converted to Islam. I'm going, wow, that must be that must take more faith because I know what a uh, solid, well, not solid, but really a, a dedicated Muslim uh, Nabil Qureshi was, and and he met David Wood, I believe, in college, and they yes. had uh, debates for years, and he finally could not get past the evidence because he was open, and it took a long time, but. Uh, Nabil Qureshi came to Jesus. Are there any thoughts on that? Because I, I find it interesting that it's it's as frequently bought together with uh, your new book. Yeah, I, I, what we're finding is there is a massive uh, movement of Muslims coming to Jesus right now. Hmm. And so it's very difficult to quantify that, but you get lots of stories, especially from um, Iran, uh, Persia, uh, of Muslims having dreams. In fact, that was part of Nabil Qureshi's testimony that um, Jesus came to him in a dream. Hmm. And God is using various ways and methods of reaching the Muslim people, and, and not just uh, the average Muslim. Uh, another book that I would recommend is, is um, Mosab Hassan Yusuf's book uh, that talks about the uh, he was the son of the co-founder is, is the name of the book is, is Son of Hamas. He is the son of the co-founder of Hamas, a terrorist organization wow. in, in uh, uh, Palestine, in Israel. And he actually had someone share the gospel with him, met on the streets right outside of, of Jer- right in Jerusalem. And uh, he ended up reading the New Testament for the first time and coming to find that Jesus was more than just a prophet and coming to Christ. And what happened to him is uh, he said to be a follower of Jesus, I must love my enemy. Who is my enemy? He said um, he thought, well, Israel is my enemy. And so long story short, he, he actually goes to work for uh, Ben Shet, uh, which is the uh, like the Mossad. It's part of the um, anti-terrorist uh, uh, intelligent agency of Israel. And so what's happening is, is he's going to these Hamas meetings and, and sneaking out to his cell phone and warning them, saving lives, warning them about terrorist organizations, and uh, ended up no one knew until he got to America, wrote his book. Even his own father didn't know. First of all, I work for the Israeli government. Secondly, I'm not Muslim. I'm a Christian. Wow. Amazing. I would, have, I would think that a lot of them would have a hard time making it public knowledge because then I, I believe their lives would be in danger, correct? Because you, you absolutely cannot convert to Christianity. That's, that's like a, a cardinal sin, isn't it? <laughs> For Mossab, one of the dangers was after the book came out, uh, and now he he was basically a hit out on him. Um, <laughs> he turns up on one of the terrorist lists here and almost got deported back. Wow! And finally, I think a California judge stepped in and and stopped the deportation, which would have been basically a death sentence. Wow, that's amazing. Well, I'm sure there's a lot of underground conversions, and we're, we're just thankful for that. And this book is one of those that will help us better understand the differences, but there are similarities. We need to know that, too, if they come up in conversations so we can refute them. Um, James, you also talked with one of our guests here on Stand Up For The Truth, Elijah Abraham. Would you share a little bit about yes. uh, speaking with him and putting that as a chapter in one of the books, in, in your book? Right, right. We, we wanted to have... Stories of practical stories of what it really was like in the in the lives of of Muslims who actually did see the difference and come to Christ and Elijah Abraham was one of those and uh, he his his unique contribution is he's from the minority Shia uh, group which um, uh, basically went after uh, one of the just one of the rightly guided caliphs Ali uh, as, as uh, and there's a lot of enmity between the Shia and the Sunni. In fact, 
you, you could argue that the majority of of uh, conflict and violence in the in the world of Islam is not Muslim versus Christian or Muslim versus Jew. It's Muslim versus Muslim. Yep. A lot of it's about that. So he talks about that some in his testimony and how Christ uniquely reached him. And he was able to come to an understanding that Jesus was much more than just a prophet. Mm. Well, that's phenomenal, phenomenal man of God. We love uh, Elijah Abraham. Um, and a couple other people, uh, Zamira Campbell, and she was a former Sunni, and also you mentioned uh, Zia Hassan. Um, anything yes. else you'd like to share before we wrap up? We've just got a minute. Yeah, with the case of um, uh, of of her particularly, uh, she becomes an actual kind of like uh, epilogue for the book. When when I first interviewed her for the for the book, uh, she had to know when the book was coming out because she said, "Brother James, I have not told my parents, and they must not find out from the book. Oh, I my need to goodness. tell them. So let me know." And so <laughs> she knew she was risking being cut off completely from her family. Uh, and she tells the story of what happened and all uh, in the epilogue at the very back of the book. But she was recently out, and, and this is the model of what we're hoping people do. She was a university student here in Texas, and she met some Christians on campus who befriended her. They weren't judgmental. They developed relationships. They got into a Bible study with her, and she was exposed. Most Muslims have never heard the story of the wound at the well. They've never read about Nicodemus, you must be born again. They're, they, they're totally unfamiliar with the stories of the gospel. Mm. And when she got exposed to that, she, she in fact, in her testimony, she says, I realized that the God I worship could not be the true God. And I had to confront that. I had to make that right. And she became a Christian. It's a wonderful story. Praise God. Thank you. The book is called What the Quran Really Teaches About Jesus, Prophet of Allah, or Savior of the World. It is out, brand new, uh, just came out last week, James Walker with Watchman Fellowship. James, thank you so much for spending the podcast, the hour with us on the podcast today, brother. Thanks, David. I really enjoyed it. Uh, God bless you. We'll talk to you hopefully soon. Uh, when we come back, we'll share our guests the rest of this week. Keep it right here. Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. All right, friends. Tomorrow, the president of Vision America, also founder of Recover America and the Jonathan Project, which helps churches across the country, Christian churches, mobilize their congregations to register to vote. Believe it or not, millions of Christians are not registered to vote. So Jonathan, the Jonathan Project, you can look it up in advance of tomorrow's podcast with former pastor Rick Scarborough. He was one of the speakers at the conference I attended in Dallas just over a month ago. So can't wait to talk to him tomorrow. Also, you will hear from Leslie Montgomery. She's an author of the book called The Faith of Mike Pence. That's on Wednesday. We've got Julian Appling coming in on Thursday and uh, Friday. We have to uh, rearrange that schedule. Our guest had to reschedule. So a uh, busy week again, as always. But you got to check out last week's podcast if you missed any of them, especially Steve Smotherman. And uh, thanks a lot for supporting us, for your prayers. God bless you. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter. <laughs>